It's relenting well, and we're over halfway now, and, and we want to remind you, and hopefully you've caught this by now, that, that this is not a time where we are just punishing ourselves for our sins, okay? This is also not a time where we're trying to perform in a certain way to get God's attention and say, look at what I'm doing. Aren't I good? And shouldn't you now bless me more? That that's not what Lent's all about. Lent is simply taking those things that we normally do, those parts of our life that we're just saying, I'm going to say no to that. I'm going to not do that. And, and I'm going to take that time and pay more attention to him and invite him into those moments. It's really making room for God. And so hopefully that experience is happening in your life. I want to encourage you to um, not be weary in well-doing, to continue on and, and experience the last half of this. One of the things I've given up during this time is, is just the radio in the car. I have a satellite radio where I can listen to anything at any place at any time, and I can go back and forth and kind of information overload, and I kind of like it. And, uh, but I've said no to that, and it's been just a little uncomfortable for me. Uh, I've got little things on my steering wheel that kind of push, you know, pushes up the volume, and I can move back and forth, and I just have found myself kind of automatically going there, and I've just had to turn it off at the power button so I don't go there. And, and um, um, so then I thought, as it was a little uncomfortable, I thought, well, I'll I'll do something productive during this time, that I will grab my phone and I will start making calls during this. This will be a good thing. I'll connect with people in the church and, and encourage them or whatever. And, or I might listen to a podcast. That would be a good thing to do, you know, uh, uh, using that time very productively and listen to a, um, a, f- a favorite pastor or teacher, Pastor Ed's messages or whatever, you know. And uh, they uh, listen to him from the very beginning of time. And so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's how much how we spend our time when we're not here. Yeah, we just we listen just, to, we just messages to you, all the time. Ed. Because it's all about you, Ed. <laughs> or I thought this would be great during Lent. I'll just read the the prayer for the day or you know the scripture for the day from the daily office or the common book of prayer. And I would only do that at stoplights. Right? Now, my wife is standing here, so I might also do it when there's not a lot of cars on the road, okay? But actually, I... Which is a different definition for all of us, shall I say? (laughs) (laughs) But I realize I gave that up, too, that I'm not even doing that. I'm not looking at my phone or using it in the car. And now, part of that is Lent, and part of that is because I watched the Seven Pounds movie, too. Any of you remember watching that movie? Okay. If you, if you want to be healed from texting in the car, just watch Seven Pounds and it'll heal you really fast. But anyway, I found myself with myself, just being quiet and being alone. And again, it was odd at first. It was uncomfortable and, and my mind kind of went different places. But 20-some days into this, I'm actually finding myself looking forward to these times. I actually get in the car now and I go, I'm going to just, it's just going to be quiet. I'm going to just listen. And something's happening now. I haven't written a book from what God spoke to me during that time yet. And so, but there's something that's connecting there that's really special. So whatever you're doing, I just encourage you to keep doing it. Just keep spending time doing that and putting yourself in that place to make room for him. As I've been experiencing this and thinking about this, I've, I've really come to believe that we have kind of bought into a lie that Somehow, this experience of connecting with God, of allowing Him to touch our hearts, is really 
my responsibility alone to do this, that I'm in charge of that. I want to suggest, we want to suggest this morning that our spiritual life with him, our spiritual connection with him is really his responsibility. He's God. He's the one that is responsible for our spiritual health. What we simply have to do is learn how to stop and listen and take in what it is that he's wanting to communicate to us. I'm a dad of four, and I've raised four children. I say I've raised them. My baby is 18 now, still at home, but just a few months, and she won't be there anymore. And so pretty much they're raised. And, but when they were little, uh, and I was trying to teach them something, whether it was how to put something together or how to draw something or how to ride a bike, many times when they were really little, they just had so much energy in them. Some of your parents might be able to relate to this. It was like, Dad, 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 come on. I can do it. I can do it. I know how to do it. I know how to do it. Dad, come on. I can start that. Go, just, 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 be quick. just listen to me for a minute. I need to show you how to do this. I know how to do that. I know how to do that. I mean, they just were. And then squirrel, you know, and then they're just like, who knows, you know, chasing butterflies or something, you know. Now, I'm the dad. It was my responsibility. It wasn't their responsibility to learn stuff. They didn't know what to learn. It was my responsibility. Now, what I was looking for was for them to just be quiet for a minute, for them to be silent and to listen and to pay attention and to just to hear what I had for them because I wanted good things for them. I, I, I believed that I knew something about their future. I just needed them to listen. Uh, I needed them to be alone and be quiet, to be able to hear my voice. Why is it so difficult for us to be quiet and to be alone. I read a quote from Psychology Today, and it said, we live in a society that worships independence, yet deeply fears alienation. Our era is sped up and overconnected. The Earth's population has doubled since the 1950s, and in cities across the world, urban crowding and the new global economy has revolutionized social relationships. Cellular phones now extend the domain of the workplace into every part of our lives. Religion no longer provides a place for quiet retreat, but instead offers megachurches of social and secular amusement. And climbers on the top of Mount McKinley whip out handheld radios to call home. We are heading toward a time when, according to the New York Times, portable phones, pagers, and data transmission devices of every sort will keep us terminally in touch. Yet in another more profound way, we are terminally out of touch. The need for genuine and constructive aloneness has gotten utterly lost. And in the process, so have we. I remember 30 years ago when I was a, a new therapist, and I don't know whether I learned this from school. Um, I don't remember a whole lot from school, but <laughs> whether I learned it from I had a great time, though. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I learned it from school or whether it was from some of our mentors. We had a couple of older gentlemen that were our mentors that were just so wonderful in, in teaching us a lot about people. But I remember one of the things that they would tell us was, as you're dealing with people, listen to the pattern of their lives. Don't just listen to their story. Listen to the pattern of their lives and what they're involved with in a day-to-day -day basis. Because if there's someone that always has to have music on, or always has to be with people, or has to have some activity going on around them all the time, then probably they have some private pain that they're running from. 
They don't want to be with their thoughts because if things are quiet, their thoughts will overtake them. Why fast forward 30 years and I think about what our lives are like today. Hardly any of us are quiet or alone. We always have things going on. And I have to ask, have we lost the ability to take our thoughts captive? Have we lost the ability to discipline our minds enough so that we don't float to the negative, but that we really take in the truths of God and that we really find peace and contentment in silence and aloneness? Do you remember being a small child and having a positive experience of being alone? Do you remember a time of being content or happy playing as a little child? I remember it really clearly. As we were working this week, I started thinking about one day in particular. I must have been seven or eight years old. And I know it was early summer because I was sitting underneath a really old lilac bush. And I remember that because the lilacs were in full blossom and I could smell it. And I remember sitting there and it was totally quiet and calm. It was very cool just comfortable and I was playing in the powder dirt nobody was around but I remember that feeling of being totally and completely content do we get that as adults do we allow ourselves to have those times when we are alone and we're quiet and we're content those of us that seem to be on the driven side I think um, tend to think if we're quiet and still then Absolutely nothing is happening unless we're doing something. I think we've attached our value to what we do, and unfortunately I think we've become more human doers than human beings, that somehow I've attached my sense of self based on my performance and what I do and then what other people think of me. And so this idea of being quiet, we just quickly oftentimes think about the next thing I need to be doing the next person I need to connect with to find some sense of identification. And I think we slip into what I consider a deadly trapping, a a trap of doing and performing with not only no room for aloneness, but also we tend to fear it a bit. There was a letter that was written to Henry Nouwen many years ago. Uh, Some of you know Henry. He was a prolific author and was a Dutch priest and, and taught at many of the amazing seminaries throughout the country. And, and this is a letter from an abbot named John Bamberger. It says, When you are faithful in silent meditation, you will slowly experience yourself in a deeper way. Because in this useless hour in which you do nothing important or urgent, you have come to terms with your basic powerlessness. You have to feel your fundamental inability to solve your or other people's problems, or to change the world. When you do not avoid that experience but live through it, you will find out that your many projects, plans, and obligations become less urgent, crucial, and important, and lose their power over you. When we're alone and we're really quiet, we realize that he is God and we are not. And in some ways, that's a tremendous comfort He has the world in his hands. He has our lives under control. We can rest in him. In other ways, there's that part of me that I want it in my control. And I have to stop and surrender and say, you are God and I am not. Psalms 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. 
rest in that. Be quiet and acknowledge who he is. This idea that, that our identity comes in what other people think of us or our value is only if other people approve of us, that's been part of man since the beginning of time. You know, one of my favorite um, scriptures is in 1 Kings 18 and 19. I love the stories of Elijah. And part of it's because you probably haven't noticed this, but I have a little bit of a dramatic personality. And so when I had small children and we could tell stories, it was a really good one to tell. You know, when we're talking about Elijah and he was confronting Ahab and the 450 prophets of Baal and, and Elijah called down fire from heaven and it consumed the altar and 450 prophets of Baal dropped dead. And, and I remember saying to my kids, and everybody knew that Elijah's God was a one true God. And it was a oh, yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> and so I loved that story, and I loved Elijah and his faith and, and how he outran Ahab's horse and chariot and how he prophesied that the rain was coming in the midst of this horrific drought. And I love that faith and the drama that was involved in that. But right after that time, what happens? Jezebel threatens to kill him. And what's he do? Does he stand up and have fire consume her? No, he goes and sits under a tree and says, take me home. I'm the only one doing this. I'm left all alone. Have you ever had those times in your life? You just go, I'm all by myself doing this. Nobody else is doing anything, God, just me. And here I am. It's worthless. We go through those periods of time, don't we? That's why I love scripture and how it has real people that are in there. Now, God is so wonderful. Right after this, he has Elijah eat and sleep, which sometimes is what we all need when we get depressed. It's like, be quiet, go to bed, have some regular meals, and then we'll talk about it, okay? But what I love after this is once Elijah went to the cave and he was quiet, he was ready to hear from God. When he was still, he was ready to hear God speaking to him and God's direction for his life. In 1 Kings 19, 11, um, the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper, Elijah. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Elijah poured his heart out to the Lord, and then he listened. And God spoke to him and directed him and empowered him to move on from there. Are we looking for the great and mighty? Are we looking to have these times of huge, dramatic things that are occurring? Or are we willing to sit and listen to the quiet voice of God that wants us to move in this direction, that wants us to follow him into where he's going to lead us to go? When you look at the life of Paul in the New Testament, of course, one or prolific um, missionaries, you see pretty much activity after activity after activity if you follow Acts. And he, he went and did this, and he went to this town and did this, and he dealt with people's opinion, and, and they struggled with, with all kinds of things that people were resisting him. Uh, that he kept moving and kept doing thing after thing after thing. And so it looked like a, a life of incredible activity. Uh, there's a, a very important verse that sometimes we miss when we think about 
this life. Uh, he ended up writing half the New Testament. He uh, was a key leader in the early church. But in Galatians 1.11, it suggests this significant thing that took place right after his conversion. It says, I want you to know, brothers, as Paul speaking, that the gospel I preach is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. And then this verse, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. Arabia. Now, it's believed that that's in modern-day Syria someplace. What we do know about that region is that it's a desert region. And at this time in history, that there weren't many people there. And so Paul went to the desert to be by himself. You can imagine why he had to get this message in him, a very profound thing that God was calling him to do. Now, I am a big community guy. You will hear me talk about community almost every time I speak, the importance of us connecting our lives together. Uh, we spend most of our days connecting people or reconnecting them, whether it's with marriages or families or people in the church. Janice and I kind of think of ourselves as matchmakers. We, we meet a family in the church and we go, oh, you'd love this family. Um, why don't you go hang out with them? This family over here, you guys have common kids. Why don't you guys get together and be a life group? And so we're kind of matchmakers, and, and we think it's a big deal. We think the unity of the body of Christ is one of the most important things that we could possibly be about as a church. It's one of the most incredibly important things in the heart of God, we believe. But there are times where this faith that we have has got to come down to what have I heard personally from God? Have I heard it just because my parents think that? Is that why I believe this? Is it something that my spouse believes and that's why I do this or believe this? Is it something that, well, my pastors say this and so that must be how we're supposed to be? Or is it something that we have heard, something that we have connected on a very personal level? It says Paul did not go to Jerusalem, to the council. Now, that could have been a very good thing. Uh, not saying that that was a bad thing. You know, to, uh, would have been a bad thing to do. It would have been a good thing. And you'll see later on that they counseled together. They connected the leaders of the church and they reasoned things out. But, but Paul, and you can imagine why, he was a key figure in persecuting the church. And now God was saying, I want you after his conversion, I want you to take this message to the very people you've been persecuting. You can imagine Paul going, right, you've got to be kidding me. How are they possibly going to believe anything that I say? He had to hear it, not just from one of the other guys, not just that this is a, a common teaching, but he had to get this settled in the heart of God. So he went to Arabia to be by himself, to be alone, to get quiet.
And my question for all of us today is, do we have Arabia times? Do we have a times where we go to Arabia in our life? Or are we just quickly going to the next thing? Quickly looking for the next person to connect with so that we can gain a sense of identity from what they think of us. The fact that they responded to me on Facebook makes me feel good. Um, they liked my tweet. I'm a good tweeter, you know. Um, and what is it that we're looking for? What's the, is that where we live our life? Jesus is, a, of course, our best and highest example of having this pattern or rhythm in his life. As we read through the Gospels, we see that he had this rhythm of spending time speaking and teaching and healing and interacting, and yes, time away and time alone throughout the three years that he was on this earth. Mark one thirty two says, That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many, who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus disciplined himself to pull away from the crowd. If he was looking for the approval of his disciples, he didn't get it there. People would have always been wanting him to come heal this person. My sister walked two miles in order for you to heal her. Why are you going away by yourself right now? Why don't you do this for us? Why don't you do that for us? And yet he disciplined himself to pull away and to have that time with his father. He knew the benefit of having alone time. We need to look at our lives and go, how can I pull away and have that solitary time, that alone time, in the midst of everything else going on in my world? So we see from the scripture, we see from church history, we see from those that are fathers in our faith that this is important. But once we get settled in the importance of this, you're going to come face to face with some practical obstacles of how to do this. There's going to be some threats or some challenges that you'll experience. One of those is that you might say that, gosh, when I get quiet, my mind just wanders. I just think about everything. I go to my to-do list. I think about what this person said. I do this and I do that. And I just can't. I don't get much out of it. Um, Some, particularly getting up early, say I can't stay awake. I just, I get quiet and I'm some of the best sleep I've ever had, you know. For some, it's when I start praying for people, I think about I need to call them, I need to check on them, or I need to go do something for them, and I can't just be quiet and be alone. For some, it's my house is too noisy. There's no place I could go to possibly have silent time. Or or it's when I get quiet, the noise in my head starts roaring, and it's no, there's no quiet to be found. And so all of us are going to have to figure out how do we get through these. And it's going to take each of us learning a different way that's unique to us to learn how to get quiet. But I want to suggest that there's actually a greater threat, that even if you find yourself finding times of quiet, you will come face to face with the most judgmental, the most demanding, the most critical, the most insecure, the the most fearful person that you've ever come in contact with, and that is... You. 
we don't like to be caught with just thoughts about ourselves. If we, as long as I can keep something going, as long as I've got a task to do, as long as I have responsibilities, as long as I have people to connect with, then I'm, I'm, I'm at peace. I don't want to have to face me. Yet why is it that we would put our sense of peace and security and fulfillment in the hands of people's thoughts about us, in their opinions about us, or my performance over the heart of God? Why would we do that? I can tell you after 55 years of life, if you're putting your value and your sense of self on the opinions of others, that is the most insecure place you could possibly stand. People are the most fickle things on the, on the planet. They will love you today and be your friends, and they will find a reason not to like you tomorrow. It's going to happen. And as far as your performance goes, you're only as good as your last performance. The last time you did something, that's how good you are. It's like being a professional coach. You can be, have a, be a great team. The city loves you, but if you're not doing well in the playoffs this year, you're out of here. Um, and they will lose love for you almost immediately. And so we're suggesting take a risk. Take a risk to lean into the heart of God. Whatever it is you think he thinks of you, his is the only place that you can find security. His is the only love that will be the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the only one that knows you inside and out and loves you deeply. Um, Take a risk, lean into that, and learn how to hear what he thinks about you, what he has for you, and what his plans are for you tomorrow. Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whatever those voices are that tell you you're not good enough or you messed us up or you did this wrong, they're not the voice of God. Because he has love and compassion and mercy and grace and forgiveness. I have a dear friend of mine, and she is a um, pastor of a small mainline denominational church. And we were talking one day, and I I always tease her. I don't even want to pray in front of her because she has her MDiv from Princeton. And it's like... I don't even think I'm spiritual enough to pray in front of you because you're from Princeton. But we were talking about just the challenges in our lives. And and she was saying, you know, how hard it is with all the different demands as a mom and in all the things that she's involved with and how she'll be praying with somebody at the hospital, watching her her watch, knowing she's got to pick her kid up from school in just a few minutes and hating to pull herself away from those people. And then she gets to school and she opens the door and her, her son goes, Mom, you're late 
again. And then knowing she needs to spend time with him and she's got emails to return. And, and we were just talking about those pressures and how easy it is to really look at our worth based on whether people approve of you or not. And how easy it is to have that, oh, I'm bad because I didn't do this and I didn't call my mother and I didn't do this. And we think of all of those things. And then we started talking about our worth is really based in Christ. And if we can get our minds focused on the fact that I'm fully loved, I'm fully forgiven, even if I didn't return that email when I was supposed to, even if I didn't meet with that person when I was supposed to, that my worth is not based in that. My worth is based on my identity in Christ. And as I get a hold of that, I experience peace and freedom and really the power to do the things that he's called me to do. And so we looked at each other and we both started laughing and it was like, what if we really believed what we preach? <laughs> and then we stopped and thought, you know what, isn't that true for all of us? What if I believed what I believe? I know I believe this, but what if every time those thoughts overtake me, I stop and say, no, my worth is not based in any of that. My worth is not based in anybody's opinion or what I got done today. It really is in the fact that Christ died for me. And he forgives me. And he loves me. You know, when we turn and greet each other with grace and peace, I really, we've talked about this as a staff, I really want us to be intentional to say, Deborah, remember God's grace on you. You are forgiven. You are whole. You are accepted in him. Walk in peace. When we recognize that grace, then we have peace. But we have to remind ourselves of that and shut down the noise in our brain and all of those accusations that Brent said are usually from us and listen to the one who loves us, who knows us, and who forgives us. We have a lot more time when we're not plagued with guilt and condemnation. We have a lot more freedom when we don't have to carry around that baggage. So if we're convinced that this is important, how do we do this? What are, what are some ways that we can actually walk this out? Um, first of all, if, if you find yourself getting quiet and taking moments, but your brain just starts going all kind of places, or you kind of worry about the next thing, or you feel bad about the last thing, or whatever it is, start with just intentionally being grateful. Truly counting your blessings, being thankful. See how that directs your time. See if your quiet time doesn't have a different quality to it when you start that. Some of you need to unplug. Some of you need to maybe take one of your favorite TV shows and say, this week, next week, I'm just going to not watch that show. I'm going to intentionally take time and pull away from that noise, even if it's your favorite. DVR and watch it after Lent. Um, the, uh, or maybe I just choose that I'm going to skip those for a while, for a season in my life. And it's nice outside, go, go sit outside. Some of you need to unplug from Facebook, if you're face, in the Facebook world. And you might even post on your Facebook, I'm taking a week of silence. I'm going to take a week alone. Let them know that you're not going to be responding to them. And that time that you would normally go check every few minutes, who's, who's contacted me or who said this or who said that, we just don't do that. And we intentionally look, look um, his direction, look God's direction. Uh, for some, um, it might be your lunch break, that instead of going to lunch with a friend or instead of taking a book or 
working through lunch, just close the office door. Take a few minutes. Have your lunch with you. Don't have your phone. Don't have a magazine. Don't have a book. I don't care if it's even a good book. Just don't do it. Just be quiet and see what, see what might happen. For some of you, you set aside time for exercise. You're already doing that maybe for an hour a day or hour, hour every other day. Learn how to get quiet during that time and let that be a time of solitude. Instead of the earphones, when I'm at the gym, I always have earphones in. I'm either watching an elliptical machine, watching ESPN, or I'm listening to a podcast or something like that. I'm thinking, hey, I'm <laughs> double benefit here. You know, I'm being double productive. This is great. Um, and I've learned how to just take off the earphones. Now, actually, to be honest with you, I've had to put the earphones back in because it's just distracting in the gym. But I've just got music on with no words, just something that separates me from everybody. So it's already a time that you're doing that anyway, or you're taking a walk in the neighborhood or, or whatever. Uh, for some, again, it's, it's hard to keep on track. So take a small section of Scripture, a couple of verses, and just read those over three or four or five or ten times at the beginning of your quiet time and just see what might happen, what you might hear in the next 10 or 15 minutes. I encourage you to drop all of your expectations. When I'm going to have time with God, I've got my Bible, I've got commentaries, I'm listening to something, I've got books and, and my pen in hand ready to write and underline. And I'm just saying take times where you do none of that. You just, that's all good, but you have times where you push all that away and you just are going to listen. Now, some of these things may grab you a little bit. You may be able to catch on to something here. But we hesitate even saying these. Because once again, it gives us kind of that idea that if I can do the right stuff, if I can get the right formula here, then I can unlock God's heart for me. And I can really then hear and connect with God. Remember, he's the dad. He's responsible for your spiritual connection with him. He's pursuing you. He wants this. We just have to learn how to not go, squirrel! And, and just slow down, stop, listen, pay attention. And it's going to be a discipline that we're all going to have to, to do. Let him in, listen to him. We all are usually much more interested in what we have to say than what anybody else has to say. That's our human challenge. And so we've got to say that what he's saying is much more important and learn how to settle into those times. Now, as we close today, I'm going to ask us just to do something just slightly awkward. Um, I'm going to ask us to take three or four minutes, which is going to feel like an eternity, okay? And I'm just going to ask you to get quiet for a minute, just whatever you need to do to unplug. And before you start thinking about lunch or thinking about I've got to get my child or thinking about this or that, just take a couple of minutes and settle in. Again, if you're... If your mind starts wandering and you're salivating over what you're going to have for lunch or whatever the distraction is, maybe something simple as, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Say that over and over again and see where that might direct your moments. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. In just a minute, Preston will come and close us. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Jesus Christ, 
Son of God, have mercy on me. Let's all stand together. Let's lift our voices. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. 
And as we go today, as always, we want to remind you of God's blessing for your life. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his beautiful face shine on you. May he be gracious to you. May you be guided and formed by his grace. May you know that your worth is not based on your performance or on what other people think of you, but it is solely and completely by his word of grace. May he turn his countenance towards you so that in your aloneness, you know that he is looking at you with love. And may he give you peace, a peace that passes all of your understanding. May it guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. Go in peace today. If you need prayer for anything, our prayer team will be here at the front. Go in peace.